Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. And today we're joined by Michelle Mateno. Michelle is a first-generation French citizen, Afropean with a legal background and 15-plus years of professional experience. She worked as an attorney in cases like those seen in the Law & Order franchise, which she likes to call the dark side of society, uh, then did a stint in deportation camp, um, leveraging a legal consulting company as a solopreneur. Uh, she did her leap of faith and came to the U.S. three years ago, and she can now call herself an MBA graduate with a major in social entrepreneurship. After a last act in the corporate America, uh, she realized how miserable she kind of was in that environment and decided to reclaim her life and make a new transition into a more creative career that included writing about her various adventures and setting up a nonprofit targeting immigrants to accompany them with navigation in their new countries, in Europe or the U.S. Indeed, one of her purposes in life is to equip the youth and young people of color from underprivileged backgrounds with the tools that will allow them to thrive and not just survive. Uh, She particularly wants to target the youth in French-spoken countries. Welcome, Michelle. Welcome, Michelle. Beautiful introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. We're so excited to have this conversation with you today, Michelle. And a lot of the things that you love are things we love, too. Because as Mm -hmm. Meaningful, we, of course, want to help black and brown women navigate in these spaces that are predominantly white spaces. So before we get into talking about the narrative this month, Assimilate, please, we're going to play it so everyone can be on the same page. So let's roll the narrative. I was so happy to get a position at this huge company, knowing that leadership spoke openly about their inclusive culture where associates, not employees, can be themselves, learn, and grow. There was a glossy pitch, advertisements, commercials, and videos that captured the mission and vision I eagerly wanted to join. So when I started, I was puzzled. I can't put my finger on it. It might have been the templated responses, both verbal and written, or the nonchalant surrendering of breaks, sick and vacation time for the sake of productivity. Or maybe it was the subtle uniform dress code. But it was obvious that once the time card was stamped, we were no longer Keisha, Jason, or Lisa. We were just numbers. Our individuality was slowly and deliberately being stripped away for the sake of sameness. When discussions around hot news topics started to surface like hashtag Black Lives Matter, immigration reform, workplace discrimination, 
there was an extreme lack of sympathy. And I would hear versions of, you're not like them. You're not like most dot, dot, dot. You're different. But am I? There lacked a connection to identity, especially race and ethnicity. Often with statements like, I don't see color. You can be blue, green, or purple. All I see is a person. But you do see it. And now I want you to acknowledge it so you can respect my experiences and appreciate me as a whole person. Once a customer said, I can't stand talking to black people. Instead of their associate acknowledging the outburst, they told me, don't mind them, they're ignorant. As if ignoring it would remedy the issue. The comments and microaggressions were frequent, without recourse, and eventually took their toll. I didn't feel supported, accepted, secure, happy. My resentment turned to fear where I would dread what awaits me following the weekend. I hate Mondays hit different. I no longer felt like compromising my health and extending mental and physical energy for this company. I had to take matters into my own hands. And that meant going to a therapist to cope with the toxicity until I found a better place to land. One that didn't perpetuate a colorless workhorse environment but this utopia that welcomed and celebrated my identity. A day when all of the colors in the crown box were appreciated for the picture they create. Because at the end of the day, I cannot take my fucking skin color off. I cannot mask this shit, okay? Everywhere I fucking go, I'm profiled whether I like it or not. Like, I'm looked at whether I like it or not. This shit, I can't take this shit off. So guess what? I'm going to die about it. Yeah, I'm going to die about my fucking skin. So, Michelle... After hearing the narrative, what were your initial thoughts and reactions? Uh, I will say that the narrative was kind of some kind of trauma porn. <laughs> Too much emotion. When I hear the narrative, I thought about young Michelle, like I love to call her, you know, the naivete, uh, being like, oh, I'm going to be somebody and this company is going to help me. You know, really believe in all those uh, fairy tales that were sold to us, you know, not understanding some part of how to say, um, uh, how to say clearly and with the not being that, pardon my French person, what is, which is kind of ironic. Uh, this narrative wake up a lot of bad memories, really. So this kind of schizophrenia, the, when I heard the narrative, I heard, I remember myself and a lot of people that I know, who once we arrive in the elevator in, um, in a company, we know that we have to switch who we are to take up a persona, to be a different person. You know, so everything, you know, the you are different. 
yes, I am different. I heard that so many times. And really, at the beginning, I thought it was a compliment. I was really happy to say that I'm different. But one of the things that I realized is that me being different is a little bit about the something that I realize in in this white world is the divide and conquer. So when you say to me, I am different, it's negating who I am. But if I'm not really well-formed, I will be like, oh, yes, I'm different. But how am I different? I'm different because, especially here, because I'm French. So because I'm different, I'm supposed to be super happy to be here, um, super happy to be silent, and super happy not to be confused with the other people. So, yeah, that's the narrative was some kind of kumbaya. Um, yeah, a lot of trauma that were that were awakened. And it really also remind me of lots of microaggression that I have to face since uh, in this corporate world. And the fact that I, it wake up my wounds, in fact. So it, it, it was kind of, uh, yeah, it wake up a lot of, you know, little needle. And, you know, being picked a lot of time, at some point, you start to develop some wounds. And I realized while I was listening to that, and especially the voice of that person, that the cicatrice is still here. You know, this wound is still here, and it's still hurting. And um, the, the subject that you say that assimilate, to assimilate is to forget who you are. To assimilate is to to be part. But, you know, I have a thing that I used to, I always say this, that, you know, when you, you have a coffee, because we are black, we are of color, you have to put a lot of milk in order for the coffee to be totally white. So the fact is that I cannot assimilate. Assimilation is a, it's not, it's a nightmare. It's not even a myth. It's something that I cannot do. Yeah, I, that metaphor was real. That was a really great metaphor when you think about black coffee you got to add a lot of milk in order for it to be white but one of the other things you said that really stood out to me is when you talked about walking into an organization and getting into the elevator and knowing that you have to be a different person and that really resonates with me because I think for a very long time in my career I felt exactly that way that I have to be like the other people around me. I have to be non-threatening. And I even had a leader at some point in my career who constantly said, assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. And he wasn't talking to me saying, Crystal, assimilate. But whenever he was talking about someone joining the company, he would constantly use the word assimilate. And he was the sweetest man that I have ever met, but it was just the language And I don't even think he realized at that point how traumatic language like that can be, especially when you think about switching to be a totally different person in order to assimilate. Yeah. And again, you can assimilate when you look like I think that someone who's a Polish descent or Irish American or, you know, sometimes they they talk, especially here in the U.S., um, being an immigrant, you study immigration, you know that they were hacked for Italian-American. But those are white people. You see what I mean? So whatever they do, especially when they come from eastern part of Europe, they can assimilate. 
because they are white. So at some point they're going to have kids. And you, if you do not know the no, the name that is like Poniatowski, chaf uh, chaf chaf chaf, or things like that, that's not really an issue. But when you're black, when you are of color, assimilation is not easy because assimilation is negation, and you can do whatever you do. And I think that a lot of white people do not understand is that we can do whatever we we cannot change you can you can um especially us we are black women you can relax your hair you cannot relax your skin <laughs> you know you, you even if you want to whitening lightening your skin like it is for example in india or things like that the fact is that you do not have the feature so what is assimilation? And they never ask themselves why. And I had this conversation with one colleague who was from Eastern Europe. And I was like, you know, tomorrow you're going to have a kid because she was with a, a white man. Tomorrow we were, you're going to have a kid. And this kid, they will never ask him the question if he's assimilate. My kids? I go back to the, to the, to the milk. <laughs> Uh, right, except right. a miracle, he will not. You know, he cannot be uh, inconegro. You know, so he will always be like some kind of exotic. Right, right, and I think sometimes, especially people, kind of hide behind the facade of professionalism, and I'm doing air quotes around that, in order to further validate their reasoning for what is like assimilation and tone policing and like this this pressure to make us conform, right? So as a black woman from France, how are you treated differently in corporate spaces, if at all? And oh. is there pressure to conform to America's standard of professionalism? Again, air quotes. Great question, because it's a question that have so many nuance and so many answer. So to answer the first part of your thing as a black woman from France. Uh, was I dis treated differently? Yes. Why? Because I'm French. And as I said before, the, 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 how to say, the trap is to think like, you know, when somebody say to you like, oh no, but you're not like the other, you're French. And I was like, uh, do you think that if a policeman see me outside, like he saw Sandra Blant, he need, never asked Sandra Blant a passport. He would see a black woman, you know? So, um, and she was like looking at me. So was I treated differently? Uh, yes, because on one part, I was expected to be some kind of exotic and I wasn't, I wasn't um, like the other American, and I was supposed to take that as a compliment, so that is not. Um, the other part of the thing is that the same time, they weren't, so I think that in some part of way in corporate America, they expect people of color to act a certain way. You know, basically you should be happy not even to have a seat at the table, but to be invited in the room. So I remember especially one anecdote where uh, I was the leader in a team and I was explaining something to one of my subordinates. And I remember uh, the way she looked at me because in her eyes, I'm supposed to be the help. I'm sorry for the world, but I was supposed to be the help. So the fact that I said to her, can you do that or can you correct that? She looked at me and being like, this girl is an anomaly. You see, like you have a system and she doesn't know because you're not threatening, 
but you're not supposed to act toward her a certain way. You're supposed to keep being in your lane because you're a black woman. And I look at her and I was like, whoa, because I understood that whatever I do, I didn't fit a stereotype, an image, the a bias or history as an American girl. And so it was kind of interesting. So I was treated differently. And I think that a lot of expectation were different, but at same point, I was supposed to conform. So to conform to the standard of professionalism. So the standard of professionalism here in the US is give us, show me the money, you know, like, and give us the money. But at the same time, um, you have to, uh, like he said in a narrative, you have to blindly obey, be happy to be there. We all singing Kubaya and the standard of professionalism, for example, was with um, with the way people were dressed. They dress. So imagine, especially me coming from France, the capital of fashion. When they say, <laughs> when they say sometimes casual. So for me, casual is like to have a gym, but to wear flats, you know. And I saw people in um, in the PJs or basically in their yoga pants, and I'm like, uh, what the what's happening? But at the same time, I think that me coming in my PJs or in a yoga pants, that will never be accepted. So the standard of professionalism go for some people. The standard of professionalism is expecting to stay in your lane and to uh, stay at your place. And uh, you can do your work, but do not be too much assertive. And what is the stand? And the standard of professionalism here, I really realize is really for white straight men. And who are also rich and come from a rich family. So, no, that, that, I do not even understand what is the sender. So, yeah, I was expecting to do that. But being the person that I am, um, no, it was hard. And especially, like I was saying to you, being an, an immigrant, in addition, you're like, okay, I'm going to fit that. But at the same point, I'm like, okay, it's like, it's like Don Quixote. I'm fighting something that is it's totally crazy. So yeah, I was treated different, expecting a lot of stuff, but at the same time, I was I was going crazy. If I stayed here, I was totally going crazy. I'm so glad you brought up the clothing example because it makes me think about all the times that people make assumptions about what might be okay. So they, um, without thinking about it, without being intentional, make assumptions that one thing that's okay for them is okay for everyone else. And I have two different examples. So I talked to someone probably about a year ago now, um, and they actually worked at an organization that made yoga pants and Mm -hmm. they made compression wear. And many of the women in the office, obviously white women, would wear yoga pants and they would say, why don't you wear yoga pants too? Like, this is our product, you know, just wear it. And she was like, no, like as a black woman, I will not show up to work with yoga pants on because that won't be okay for me. And same situation when you think about when COVID-19 really started to run rampant in the US and people said, wear a mask. Well, as a black man, am I going to walk into a store with the mask on? Am I gonna walk down the street 
with a mask on. So I, I'm so thankful that you brought that up, that there is this dissonance because there are some of us who can do it and others of us who just can't. No, we can. Unfortunately, we can. We cannot abide. And if I have a friend who told me one time that people were like, what do, what do you think you are? Because she was dressing to the nine. And she was like, no, 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 no. Especially when you have a certain position. Yeah, the big boss is like in jeans, uh, saggy jeans and things like that. But that's, it can appear cool to be like that. But me, I will respond and correspond to the, I'm lazy. I think that, uh, nope, no, 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 no. So, yeah. Yeah. So our next question is about some of the things that we hear people say. So we know that um, race is one of the hardest topics to talk about. But in the last 60 days, it's been thrust in front of all of us while we're all at home in front of the TV quarantining. And we've had to talk about race. Um, And some people have continued this line that they've been saying for quite a long time to get away from the conversation, which is, I don't see color. What does that mean to you? (laughs) You do not see me, (laughs) basically. No, really, that's the kind of thing that make me want to (laughs) shout, not sing the blues, but really, no, it make me really angry. Because, you know, when I was little, um, you have this thing like Benetton, we are all friends. Uh, You have the Asian, you have the, no, no. You do not see color, so you do not see me. You do not see color, so you do not see the person that I am. And I don't want this thing that everything is blank. And uh, we are, uh, so we can invent who we are, be who we are, because I unfortunately have not this luxury. It's horrible to say Mm -hmm. that I don't see color is a luxury that I cannot have because wherever I go, the first thing that you will see is a black woman. Mm -hmm. Wherever, you know, even, even before, sometimes we talk about intersectionality, even before being a woman, I am black. (laughs) So the thing is that uh, the I don't see color is like, you know, uh, when everything happened and Corinne Rothfeld was like, this is my, uh, this is my, she's not black. This is my friend. The girl is super dark skin. Of course she's black. That's the first thing she is. And you wouldn't say that. Why did you choose her? You know, so no, the fact is that when you see that, it's a little bit like I became your excuse, it became an excuse for your ignorance. And I do not want to participate to that. I do not want to participate and be your black friend. You're not racist. You have a black friend. So I become the black friend. No, it's, um, I don't like that kind of blindness that is an excuse for your ignorance and perpetuating your privilege so no do not make me start on that because it makes me (laughs) mad because unfortunately i come from a country where people do not see color we do not think about race we're a unity but the fact is that when i go and look for an apartment and i do not get the apartment because the when i speak i speak proper french i speak proper thing and the 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 landlord see me and is like Oops. Mm. And you can feel that it's totally uncomfortable and it doesn't give me the apartment. You cannot say that you do not see color when I go to a job and it's a true story. And the people call me several times. And when I arrive, 
they do not know what to do with me. You do not say that you do not see color when even when I arrive in the U.S. and I'm an immigrant. I'm always saying to people, by the way, I'm black because I do not know how I'm going to be perceived or how I'm going to, they're going to welcome me if they welcome me, of course. So no, so no, that's really something that, um, no, you do not see color, is is erasing me, is do not see the person that I am, is do not see my individuality. And for me now, having working on myself, is do not see the richness that is Michelle. Mm-hmm. The richness, yeah. I, I love that a lot, especially because it's something that we're hearing so much lately, right? I don't see color or like the only race that matters to me is the human race. Yeah, right. And it's so important what you said. It's like even just because you're not saying it out loud, Michelle is black, doesn't mean that's not what your brain is processing. It doesn't mean that it's not triggering all of the unconscious and sometimes conscious bias that's happening within you and that it's not still informing your decisions. So it really is, like you mentioned at the beginning of this call, a level of arrogance and naivete because it is a luxury to be able to say things like that. People of color can't say, I don't see color and walk around in a world like that. I saw a really good meme the other day that said, when you don't see color, you don't see patterns. Yeah. So if we all pretended that we didn't see color, would there even be a Black Lives Matter movement? No, of course not, because we wouldn't be able to see the patterns of the way different groups of people are oppressed. And that's the whole point behind that painting everything over, right? I don't see color, so we can't see problems. Yeah, but you, unfortunately, you can see when I was little, I remember that one time I realized that I was invited to party because I'm black. So because I'm black, I know how to dance. <laughs> you see? Yikes. So, but you do not see color, of course. Yeah, they will be disappointed right. in me, girl, because I cannot dance. Right, right. Well, I know, Michelle, people are going to want to hear so much more from you. It's been a joy having you here. I, I love that you're able to talk about these things that are that are so serious and so, like you mentioned earlier, traumatic, but you're always able to like keep your energy, keep your personality, and I love that you brought your whole authentic self and um, I, I hope that others can reach out to you. So where can they do that? Oh, so usually it's on LinkedIn, not that active, but on LinkedIn, I have two Instagram. I have my personal Instagram, 2MSilachom, S-I-L-A-T-C-H-O-M, which is basically an homage to my, because my parents are from Cameroon and from the Bamileke tribe. And now I'm building, uh, like you said at the beginning, I'm building um, really a platform for immigrants people who want to immigrate in France or to want to know how to navigate the, the professional world as immigrants and people of color or as first-generation American citizens, uh, which is La Matens, L-A-M-A-T-E-N-S. You also have a blog where I share about immigration and how to inter... I will not say integrate, assimilate. Let's play with that word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not how to assimilate, but how to navigate. I love that word. How to navigate really um, the Western world, this white world where sometimes as people of color, we are totally oblivious of a lot of rules because our parents were so much into the, you, ha- we, you have to work, we want to provide you a better life that they forgot that we are lost in that. We are totally lost. 
Oh, yes, it's true. I also have a Twitter. Uh, where is my Twitter? M-A-T-E-N-O-S-I-L-A-T-C-H-O-M. Matenosilachum. I can be found on Twitter. You will have a bilingual Twitter in English and in French. <laughs> Perfect. I know you told us that you don't tweet a lot, that Twitter is kind of scary. I feel the same. No, it's too scary because when it's not that I, I'm afraid to be canceled because I do not really care. But, <laughs> but when you go on Twitter, sometimes you're like, okay, there are people that became bots just to harass other people. So I'm fascinated by the hell that Dante, I think if Dante was still alive, it would be like, whoa, the ninth circle of hell is Twitter. Oh, wow. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.